Hello folks, welcome again to Permaculture Plus. This is episode 9 and I'm your host Rich Bowden, chatting to you from the central west of New South Wales. Now I'm really looking forward to bringing you this episode. In fact, I'd go so far as to say it's a little bit special and I'll tell you why in a moment. But first, I'd like to introduce author, blogger, podcaster, farmer, friend and co-host John Moore, who's coming to us from his Highclere farm in the high country in northwestern Tasmania. Hi, John. Welcome to the show. Hello, Rich. Hello, one and all. It's good to be here. Now, I mentioned earlier this was a very special show, so we need to establish why that's so. I'm going to dive straight in. And Today, John and I will talk about our new Regen Ag project, Regenerative Agriculture. There's not much to see at the moment. We're still designing the website and social media, and more about where you can find those in later episodes. But John, can you give the listeners an idea of where the whole things have to change philosophy behind the project came from and how we want to direct our energies to convincing people with backyards or even balconies that they can be the change? Yeah, sure, Rich. Um, I looked at the environmental offerings from the political parties who are up for election next week and here in Australia. The thing that really stood out was lack of any thoughts, policies or ideas in reference to regenerative agriculture. The uh, left to centre parties are good on renewables, solar panels, wind and so on, but that's just half the story. The concentration, these concentrations of CO2 are beyond healthy limits for the biosphere that's up in the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And I'm fully aware that such concentrations have been higher in the past, but the earth was not a pleasant place for uh, a thinking ape, nor many other species that we have come to know and love. So we need a way to remove the excess carbon from the atmosphere and put it somewhere. Now, carbon capture and storage just stores it as carbon dioxide underground, Mm. and carbon dioxide um, will actually kill us if it escapes and displaces all the oxygen from the atmosphere. So that's probably not a long-term solution. But it turns out that the soil is the perfect place to store this carbon. And to keep it there requires just a few things to change. Uh, We could start with drought policy. And instead of spending the money during the drought, Mm. we could take the projection for the next drought and actually spend it beforehand to help people change the way they farm. Because there's plenty of examples around of people who farm regeneratively and are doing okay during the drought. And it's up to individuals to make a difference because the political parties just aren't interested. Mm. It's, they're basically running on, on science and policies from 5, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, if science at all, John, um, yeah. Well, yeah, that, yeah. I'm talking about the ones that actually take it seriously. Yep. <clears throat> Not those clowns on the right that see it as a religious thing. Mm. Um, but that's, let's not go there. So. And we've been asked to do a lot of things for the common good in the past. Change our electric light bulbs to these things that are now filled with mercury and don't give the light that the other ones did. And are not re- these new ones are not real good for keeping baby chicks warm either, mm. but that's another thing. Uh, price signals have driven solar rooftops, uh, rooftop solar, and yet we're still not taking CO2 from the atmosphere. And as the price of renewables comes down, less, at, less CO2 will be added to the atmosphere, but there's too much there at the moment. Yeah. And so we need to reduce those levels. And Regen Ag is the great hope. Regen Ag is the best hope, but the word ag sort of puts a lot of people off it. And let's face it, Australia is an urban country. 
and so therefore it's nothing to do with the vast majority of people would be the thinking. But we can, with every piece of lawn, uh, mm. every apartment balcony, become part of the solution by turning them into carbon sinks. Yes. So we need to stop using chemicals on the soil for a start, and there are huge amounts of garden chemicals that are just sprayed all over unwilling, mm. uh, unnecessarily. We need to allow the mycelia to reconnect the plants under the soil, and we need to keep the soil covered. Bare soil leaks CO2 faster than anyone would think. We just can't see it. So it's not as obvious, but the science on this is really, really clear. And John, just to emphasise there, we are talking about regular people, we, even with just ordinary backyards or balconies. Is that right? That's correct. If you think about the large amount of space under lawn across the urban areas of Australia, it's mm. a huge amount of soil. There yes. could be a carbon sink. And there's good soil out there too. When I lived at Eastwood, uh, the soil was magnificent and it had been under apple orchards 50 years earlier and now it was covered in houses. Okay. So it's there. We just need to unlock its power to suck the carbon back into it. Mm -hmm. Now, bare soil leaks CO2 faster, like I said, than most people think. And that means garden beds have to have mulches and things like this. But we'll get into that. Now, the great bonuses from regen ag and, in fact, regen gardening are many. Uh, there's no exposure to garden chemicals. You get a healthier yards for kids to play in. And the, the less obvious ones are so there's less flooding as suburbs become water sponges rather than flat, hard surfaces as the yes. intensity of storms is increasing. Mm. And of course, you get food, your very own food. Now, you don't have to be fanatical about this. We're not trying to stop people using plastic straws. We are, in fact, returning to something humans have been doing for 10,000 years. Yeah. Nearly everyone grew their own food once. And when you grow your own food, you get to pick. We say you could grow strawberries, plant apple or orange trees, bananas, if that's your climate. But the rewards are actually quite tangible, and you can see them. And if you need to start with a quick win, you can start with short Grow, uh, growing season plants like uh, rocket or radish or something like that. Mm -hmm. But you can actually see and feel the difference. Uh, I think you noticed that when you were walking across the, the paddocks down here, Rich, how spongy it was. Yes, you knew explained it was the volcanic soil. And, and uh, the organic matter, yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. Mm. So the ongoing work, even with vegetables, is, is minimal once the system's set up. And then year after year, your little piece of the planet's working your way diligently to remove excess CO2 from the atmosphere and thereby improving your soil and your food quality and the taste of the food and improving the living conditions for everyone else on the planet with us. It's a win-win-win-win. Fantastic. That's great stuff. Thank you, John. Just to expand on a, a little on a point you raised there, uh, climate change and the way we react to it is going to be one of our main foci. It's our belief that the real polluters here and overseas are ecstatic that the media spotlight is on personal sustainability achievements such as our own shopping bags. <laughs> Not that we don't think that's important. It is very important indeed. But the battle against a warming climate needs to be ramped up. Not only should we be lobbying polluting giants such as Adani and all level of governments, we should be more aware of our living soil how we can protect and regenerate it. And as John pointed out, it's there. It's under our feet. It's in our suburbs. It's in our window boxes even. 
how much damage has been done to Australian soils due to imported farming methods. It's time this changed. And okay, that's my rant over, John, for the moment. <laughs> uh, we'll be offering some extra value-added items as well in our Regen Ag project, such as your book on regenerative agriculture. John, can you talk a little about that? Yeah, certainly, Rich. Um, it's a handbook for those with no experience whatsoever. And even if you are an experienced gardener, it, it teaches a different way of doing things. It makes life mm. so much easier. And it's applicable, again, from the uh, balcony flower pot box all the way yep. up to however many acres you want to play with. Yes. But the soil's the same. The techniques of the, the the principles are the same. The techniques vary depending on the amount of space you've got to play with. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, tell me, Rich, how did you come to this similar position to myself on Regen Ag? Okay, it was a, a chat we had online a number of weeks ago now, John, mm. where we got to the end of our usual chat, and for some reason we just directed off into political situations and the fact that, you, as you have alluded to, that there's nothing being done, not enough being done, nowhere near enough being done by our political leaders. They, all of them, all of them seem to be followers rather than leaders, and it was a kind of, it's time. I think you mentioned, John, that it's time for a change. And we left it there. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you are absolutely right. You know, we are seeing nothing in the way of, of political leadership in the lead up to the election, as you mentioned earlier, mm. in the face of overwhelming evidence uh, from climate change and just, just one particular issue. There's also the issue of mental health and it's something that will be not focusing on itself but it will be an important part if you've got a, a garden if you've got an organic garden a permaculture garden even going out and working on it does amazing things for your mental health it, it's been proven by science now and we'll probably be going into that a little bit now also john it was going back about a month or so now where we popped down to tassie to visit you and annie mm-hmm on your farm at Highclere, and just talking face-to-face with you, just listening, just following you around the paddocks as you fed the pigs, the chooks. Mm. Uh, it just took me back to when I I went on a, a cruise on, on the Arthur River, uh, which is not oh, that yeah. far from you, Johnny, north northwestern Tasmania, mm-hmm. and we actually went on a cruise that was run by a guy. He must have been in his 90s at the time, and he'd cut through uh, a small bush track and we we got off i learnt more in that afternoon john about tasmanian tigers than i'd ever done in all my schooling because this guy had grown up with tassie tigers same when i was walking around the paddocks with you i learnt more uh just through experiencing and listening about uh, regen ag and how it applies to small holding farms mm. than i had uh, in in uh, looking up googling that sort of thing and i really do think that it's important that we get that face to face even if it is online mm. we get that face to face talk with people now the other thing was funnily enough i was also back in the same place that i saw al gore's an inconvenient truth in 2006 the other week uh, for some film awards in which my oldest son had entered and he won his category mm-hmm. and the, I was just looking around and we were about a couple of seats away from where we had taken the kids to see this uh, I think it was the 13 years ago at the time I thought this is going to change everything uh, we will change now 
13 years ago, we haven't haven't achieved anything. We've gone backwards. And that sort of reinforced the change is necessary changes now. We know how important Regen Ag is, not just for the practitioners, but for future generations. And I think that if we can get people to just put in, in place just one Regen Ag habit, just to have a, a maybe even a window box that they plant herbs, mm. then they start to think about changing habits elsewhere in their life. And uh, there was a great book that I read recently, John, called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, and I do recommend it. Anybody get their hands on it. And he goes through what causes habits and how to overcome them, replace them with good habits, and how keystone habits, as he refers to them, that one habit that I'm talking about, starts you off on a totally different trajectory and you start to think you start to think for the future, for the kids, and that sort of thing. So this project has ticked all those boxes for me, and with that, we'll bring part one to an end, and back in part two, we'll go into it a little bit more detail. Okay, apologies for the lack of detailed information at this stage, folks. Now, we'll be rolling out that in future episodes, but we really wanted to get across the dream and the ideas uh, behind it. Yeah, indeed. And it won't just be Rich and myself. Uh, We're gathering experienced people who know this topic backwards in both theory and practice, and we'll be uh, bringing them to to the world. I mean, they have their own audiences already, but I think the more people that hear about this stuff and see how easy it is to do and the differences it can make, the better. Yeah. So if part one was a bit of a teaser about what we hope to put together in the coming months for readers, uh, now in part two, we're going to examine the reasons why we suggest the change scenario for farming as well as domestic gardening sectors. Firstly, John, how much does the farming sector contribute to harmful greenhouse gases? But also, how much can people that have their own gardens help with that? Okay. Well, there are two different sorts of ag. There's the regen that we talk of, and Mm. sort of allied to that is the broad organic sector, biodynamics and permaculture and whatnot. But there's also the industrial sector, and that's the... That's the frightening part of this with regard to climate. Mm. Uh, And it's not as horrifying as it could be, or as some people would have us believe, but it's bad enough. Yeah. You you hear horror stories about 40 or 50% of greenhouse gases come from agriculture, and it doesn't. It's closer down to 15%. But if we cut out that 15% going up and set up the regen so it sucks more out, the benefits are just enormous, you know. That, mm. And to give you some idea, there were, what, um, 60 million head of buffalo in America a couple of hundred years ago grazing across the prairies. Yep. And they weren't giving off very much carbon dioxide. And the reason for that is that without knowing it, <laughs> in fact, it was the way they evolved was to, to graze regeneratively. So they yep. they big mobs together moving quickly across ground. So they'd eat part of the, the 
the feed, trample the rest, manure, urinate, all that stuff, and then move on because they could and they weren't going to be stuck eating their own uh, their own waste. Mm. And they wouldn't come back to that same piece of ground for, you know, 12, 18 months so that it had time to regrow. What's going on now with uh, cattle, and they're, they're similar analogues to a buffalo or a bison, is that they're being jammed into feedlots and fed grain. Now, grain's not something that bovines are designed to eat. Mm-hmm. They're designed to eat grasses and herbs and, and forbs and things like that. Yeah. And so probably six months is the maximum time they can be fed on these soya bean and corn diets because after that they start to get toxic toxicity results and then they start to lose weight and get crook. Mm. But these things just pump out huge amounts of uh, not just carbon dioxide but methane as well because of the diet that the cattle are on. Now, you can overcome that to some extent by adding seaweed meal, but no one's doing that because that's an extra cost. So any sort of factory farming of animals will lead to huge increases in CO2 and methane. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons we have to change that. And if we, and the longer the supply chain, these massive feedlots going through processes and then trucked across the country to, to supermarkets and things, the greater the chance of um, food contamination. We're pretty good here in Australia, but it happens regularly elsewhere, and it's only a matter yeah. of time before there is a breakout. I just think of the, how vulnerable the strawberries were with the, the clown putting the pins and needles in them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, and, and eggs are another volatile product that could become contaminated easily. Mm. And I think 10% of the, the chicken flocks got salmonella in their gut, and the eggs come out the same opening as, as the waste. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a matter of time. So with regen stuff, if you've got a small garden, you've got a couple of chooks yourself, the supply chain's, what, 50 yards tops? Yes. And even if there is a problem, it's only going to be one household that gets crook. Mm. And your local GP will spot it straight away, and this is what needs to be done. But if you're using a huge supply chain, and they had a big egg recall from Woolies, I think, about a month or two ago, and coals from one particular farm because of salmonella. And that vulnerability in the food supply chain means that, I mean, yeah, so you can live without eggs for a week, but what if it was something else Mm. or a whole series of things at the same time? We've just been lucky. So, yeah, there is a problem with agriculture, Uh, feedlots, ploughing. People still plough. And every time you turn the soil, you're killing off the mycelia underneath it, the, the fungus that connects the plants together and feeds them. And whenever you do that, you're releasing CO2 into the air. And if you don't do that, then you don't plough, but you use chemicals for no-till farming. Yep, yep. You're doing the same thing, in effect. The yes. the, the excess CO, the, the CO2 releases perhaps less because there is some ground cover, but you're still releasing CO2. Because the the worst possible case is bare soil, and that used mm. to be the what they used to call the fallow. Where you just leave it bare for twelve months, and it's just it's just terrifying. Okay. So all these things can be changed, and if we change them, the closer to home we change them, the safer the food, the bigger the impact, and the more chance there is for the agricultural regions to start healing. Because it's it, it's you know there was another dust storm hit Mildura last week. 
which is just topsoil blowing away and coming into where it's not needed. Yes, yes. We get a few of those out here. Yeah, too. it's just, it's so wrong. Mm. Uh, and it's fixable. Now, we will be going into quite a few different methods, and I guess it's all a matter of uh, of naming, but the Regen Ag is just like an umbrella mm. title, isn't it, John? There, there are many other Oh, there's, there's any sorts of... Uh, it depends on the soil, the location, how big your mm-hmm. place is, if you've got a quarter-acre block or you've got a 500-square-metre block or you've mm-hmm. got your window box. But basically, there's there's sort of three things in common. It's uh, There's no tillage. Yep. The soil's constantly covered, and you and you don't you, and you use heritage seeds so that you can save the seed and it becomes adapted to the microclimate. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, if people want to have a, a read up on these things. There's um, Masanoba Fukuoka's natural way of farming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we've talked about that earlier on this this particular podcast, or maybe the real food chain. Mm-hmm. And I've covered it on World Organic News. And there's biodynamics and permaculture, which of course we have covered here. And a curious thing I found out of India called zero-budget natural farming, which, like all of them, relies on using what you have at hand where you are. Yeah. And it's it's just brilliant stuff. It's And it's not that hard. And if you're doing it in your backyard, you're not only not doing it to sell for profit, so it doesn't matter what your debt levels are. And if you do have debt levels, it's actually reducing your costs because you're not yes. buying as much food. It's yeah. uh, the idea is that gardening's hard work and takes time. Yes, it can take time, and there's a little bit of effort involved in setting up these regen systems. But once they're set up, they basically run themselves, and you just take the harvest. Right. You become a manager rather, uh, uh, information manager, reading the the data coming off your growing area, rather than a civil engineer turning the soil every six months or whatever. Right, yeah. Mm. And that's interesting stuff, John. Mm. Look, you've nailed it. We want to make Regen Ag relevant for everyone, not just farmers. Yeah. I think that's pretty much the point we want to get across. And part of the ethos behind our new project is to encourage households to go further in what they've already started, maybe in a sustainability drive, instead of just concentrating on cutting back on single-use plastics, which is which is laudable. Mm. Why not go one, two, three steps further, practice regenerative techniques in the home and garden to help save the world? Don't forget to teach the kids too. Anything that's taught the kids, they'll take into the the next generation. Hmm. And the best way to teach, of course, is by example. Yep. um, Yeah, we were listening to um, Charles Massey a couple of weeks back on Big Ideas, I think it was. Yes. He's from the ANU and he's got a book out called uh, Call of the Reed Warbler. And as he put it in that interview, sustainable just isn't good enough anymore. We need to move to regenerative. And that's that's part of the process, I think, of moving from uh, exploitative practices to sustainable yes. practices and now to regenerative. So we've actually done a full 180 turn. And you can do this anywhere you have soil or dirt, which has always the potential to become soil, because soil is a living thing, not just uh, particles and... And pH, and it's John, John, and my belief that uh, we need to do this ourselves, and not wait for anybody to come along and say, "Look, this needs to be done." Um, yeah, uh, well, there are people out there doing it on larger scales, but when you look at suburbia and and the urban areas, mm. there's so much chemical wasted on lawn. 
Yeah. It, and time and fuel. It, it's, you know, as Bill Mollison, one of the founders of permaculture stated, and this is one of my favorite quotes from Bill. May he rest in peace. Uh, mm. quote, the greatest change we need to make is from consumption to production, even if on a small scale in our own gardens. If only 10% of us do this, there will be enough for everyone. End quote. And that pretty much nails it. We don't actually have to get everyone doing this, but the more people mm. who do it, the better. Yes. Do you imagine a suburban street where every 10th house was producing food? Yeah. And, you know, because that's what the person likes to do. And then they can just spread the love around the streets. It's, yep. uh, the possibilities are endless. Yeah, only 10%. Yeah. And of course, we're aiming at uh, 110% because that's what we do. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, we've got to think positive. Yeah. And so the more, the merrier. And we'll show you how. Fantastic. And what better way to end our Regen Project Heads Up episode? As promised, we'll have more incoming episodes of Permaculture Plus and over at John's podcast at World Organic News, and we'll have links in the show notes. Yeah, so please don't hesitate to contact us. Uh, if you've got any suggestions for what you'd like to see or directions we could take for this project, we're, we're open yep. to them. Yep. We, we're, we're broad-minded individuals. Yes, indeed, and that's all for this month. Thanks to everyone for listening. Yep, and we can all actually make a difference that matters. Mm-hmm.